If you happen to have a Bible there, why don't you open it to John chapter 12 and I will join you there in a few minutes' time. You may or may not be aware that it is the Sunday before Easter and um, that means next Sunday is Easter Sunday. I love Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Day. Um, and I mean, if you know me, I'm a Resurrection Day kind of person. Yeah, what, one of the things I often say is the Christian life is not so much an outworking of the cross, though it is, it's actually an outworking of living in the resurrection. The cross made the way for that, to, to, uh, for us to live in resurrection power. That, that's kind of uh, you know, a core part of who I am. Um, but I was really feeling as we were coming into this week, Deb and I were chatting about what this week would be and um, we kind of felt like that we needed to teach into something foundational and as I stirred that over, I realised yeah, we don't have a Good Friday service. That's an announcement as well as a, an introductory statement. Uh, we don't have a Good Friday service typically and you know, most years we just dive straight into Resurrection Sunday and celebrate and eat and drink and be merry around the resurrection because that is really seriously worth celebrating. But what I want to look at for a few minutes today is what is it that makes way for resurrection? There's something that has to come before resurrection that allows resurrection to happen. And it is a key foundation of the kingdom. Now, when you build a house or when you build a building, we all know that you have to put the foundation in place first. But once the building is built, you don't actually see the foundation typically. You know, it's not the thing that is most visible. And we talk a lot about destiny, and so we should. We talk a lot about coming into the dreams that are on your heart and when you've know, got a home group around that coming up and so we should and it's like the building and the building is the place where you live it's the place where you function but just because you can't see the foundation doesn't mean it's not important in fact if you take away the foundation you're in deep stuck because that building's got nothing to stand on and what I want to look at essentially is it's in some ways the part that isn't seen but it's the absolute foundation um We've talked a lot this year about coming into the fullness of who you are, discovering who you are and, and walking in it. And this is, I guess, one of the most important foundations to that. See, Good Friday reminds us that before resurrection, there's actually a death. And the unpopular part is you can't have a resurrection without a death. That is the foundation that the whole of the kingdom life is built on, is that death comes before resurrection. So let's dive into John chapter 12, because I want to have a look at that for a few moments' time. Uh, we will start at verse 20 of John chapter 12. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Isn't it funny how Jesus often, you know, he's presented with a question and then he just goes off onto another subject. <laughs> I mean, I have kids like that. 
Um, but, but he just kind of says, yeah, okay, nice question. Anyway, let me tell you what's really important. <laughs> Let's talk about that. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell, to you, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Come back to that in just a sec. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. I just want to camp on that verse for a moment. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Now, a single seed, if you think of this just in terms of size, a sing- unless it falls to the ground and dies, it only stays as big as it. Nothing beyond it actually happens. It stays small. It stays relatively insignificant. But when it dies, it becomes much more than itself. Its impact becomes bigger than that of an individual seed. Here's here's the point, if you haven't got it already, is if we want our life to be bigger than us, if we want our life to be bigger than what we can do, what we can cope with, what we can handle and have a legacy that's bigger than just us, there's a death that has to take place. And if we're not willing to die, then we just stay small. We're not willing to die. We just stay small. But when we die, when we lay something down, when we lay ourselves down, we open up the way for an impact that is far bigger than, than us, far bigger than we ourselves can carry on our own. Now, what do we mean by die? I mean, die in this context can be as little as the willingness to be inconvenienced, the willingness to step beyond that which is convenient the willingness to let my schedule be broken by some kind of need of another person. And it can be as big, literally, as laying down your life for the gospel and anywhere kind of in between there. But the death is I'm going to put aside what is convenient and helpful for me right now and I'm going to sow my seed, I'm going to sow my life into another whether that's another person, whether that's another cause, another dream, whatever it is, that's what I will do. I want to suggest, you know, in, the, in all the talk that we've had of destiny and coming into the fullness of who you are, and I believe with everything that's in me that that is the word for this year. The biggest enemy to your destiny in our culture is not the big bad enemy out there You know, it's not the left-wing radicals, it's not the right-wing radicals, it's not any political force, it's not the enemy. The biggest enemy to your destiny in our culture is your need for convenience and comfort. There it is right there. That is the biggest warfare we fight in our culture because our whole culture is geared around convenience and comfort. Do we want to change that? And that, that is really the question. So many times Jesus actually said, 
to someone, what do you want? Blind Bartimaeus comes to him and he says, and Jesus says to him, what do you want? In other words, quite often the measure that we experience is determined by what we actually want. And what we actually want is best shown by our long-term actions. I spend um, obviously a lot of my time coaching people and one of the... um, one of the interesting pieces of feedback sometimes people get is if I was to judge what you want from your actions thus far, I would say to you that the breakthrough you tell me you want, you actually don't want it. It's like, ooh, harsh. <laughs> the best indicator of your heart is your long-term actions. And I've just said, to someone, hey, if I was to judge your intention, what you really want by your long-term actions, I would say that breakthrough you want, it's too hard. It's too inconvenient. It's like, oh. Because we often say cognitively, yeah, I really want that. I want that more than anything. You can worship Jesus. I want that more than anything. But then something gets stuck in front of us that's just a fraction inconvenient. We're like, I don't want it that much. So here's the, here's the deal. If you want convenience and comfort, your legacy will only be as big as you. To me, that's not big enough. <laughs> to, to me, that, that, that's not big enough. To me, that's not the kingdom. The laying down our life isn't just this religious, self-harming, self-sacrificial thing of I'm going to experience pain for the sake of kingdom. There's a because attached. And the because is critical. If we go back a couple of pages to John chapter 10, verses 14 to 18. Well-known passage Uh, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, there's a because attached to the laying down. It's not just a purposeless religious act of self-flagellation. It's a purposeful act of I sow my life like a seed into the soil of another in order to have an impact that is greater than anything that I could do on my own. That's the kingdom. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have a lot of authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. In other words, this is something that you have complete control over, what you lay your life down for. And part of, the, part of the sense of this year is for you to discover your because. For you to discover that thing that you are willing to lay down your life for, that thing in your legacy and in your heart and in your passion that matters above all else. And it may not be, it may not, not be one simple thing. It may be a cause that's huge. It may be a people group it could be anything. You know, it could be a sphere of society. You know, if you're greedy like me, there's a number of, you know, the seven mountains that I've kind of got on my hit list. Um, I'm a little greedy. Um, but then I get, keep get told I'm thinking too small, so I don't know how to go bigger than the whole earth. 
Maybe there's another planet we can take over as well. But anyway, we'll see. <laughs> um, but there is a because. And this is what separates the religious self-sacrifice from the destiny self-sacrifice. And one is just death and more death, and the other is death that brings life. That just the simple self, you know, I've got to experience misery and pain for the sake of, because I'm a disciple of Jesus. I don't buy that. But I've also found that in the not buying that, we often miss the cross part before the resurrection in the destiny thing. And it becomes all about me, my destiny, my anointing, my desires. And it's actually not meant to be about that. Now, your desires matter because delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So don't hear me wrong. But it's the because that is critical. Isaiah 61, a little verse we're a tad passionate about, given that that's where our name as a church comes from. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And it doesn't just stop there. Not just because he has anointed me, so I can just enjoy the anointing that's on my life and enjoy just letting that anointing flow. And No, no, the anointing has a because. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for the prisoners, release for the captives. In other words, the because was the blind, the broken, the prisoners, there was a because. Does, is this making sense? We need to get our because in our sight or the death thing becomes religious and boring. It's one of the key things about religious spirit is it's so boring. Unbelievable. Anyway. So there's got to be something bigger in our goal than I get to use my gifts. I get to do what I like to do. There's a because attached to all of those things. Now, the beautiful benefit of the kingdom is you get to benefit from the life that flows through you. In other words, what the Father can push through you, he will also give to you. That is the beauty of the kingdom. That is the amazingness of the Father in heaven that we have. He is really, really cool like that. You know, when, when, when we make it all about everyone else, he makes it all about us. But when we make it all about us, he just lets it be all about us. It's got to be bigger than I just get to use my gifts. I get to do some things that I like doing. There's got to be a because. And this is what we're laying ourselves down for. I was, um, a number of years back, I was talking to a group of Uniting Church ministers and they asked me to talk about motivation in ministry um, to this group of um, Uniting Church pastors from all around Western Sydney. And um, so I did a whole lot of the stuff I do around passion and destiny. And of course, you know, we, when people have been in ministry a long time, there's a you know, devastating question that sometimes comes and that is, firstly, what was the, what was the passion that drew you into ministry in the first place? And I got him to get really in touch with that. And I said, how much of your actual time do you get to spend doing that versus all the other stuff that you really think should happen in church? And the answers weren't terrible. terribly encouraging. You know, 10, 20%. The rest of the time I have to do all the stuff that I hate and all the administration or all the cups of tea or whatever it is. Um, 
So we spent some time exploring that and, you know, my aim was to reconnect people back to their because, their real why. Why did you get into this in the first place? At the end, one of them um, kind of raised a statement as we're talking around at the end and, you know, I was talking about passion and one of the things he said was, you know, if you think of the passion of the Christ, you know, the passion is often talked about as the Easter story, you know, the, 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 the road to the cross and so on for Jesus. And he said, we, we have to remember that passion means suffering. And, you know, if I was to be honest, there was a tad of a religious context kind of coming from, from this guy of, well, you know, it's not all just life and passion and, and um, you know, we, we have to suffer. And, you know, I've heard too many ministers say, we need a good theology of suffering. and We're going to suffer, 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 suffer. And, um, and I just said, oh, can I just talk to that for a second? And I reminded them of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where it's it, talking about Jesus. It said, for the joy before him endured the cross. So passion, yes, means suffering in the sense of your passion is the thing that you are willing to suffer for in order to see it happen. See, Jesus didn't just go through the cross as a religious act. There was a joy, a passion that was set before him that enabled him to sacrifice his life, to endure, to endure that sacrifice in order to get the joy of the reward. And again, this is what separates it from the religious thing, is there's a joy on the other side. The religious camp won't tell you that. They'll just say, you've got to suffer in this life. You will have trouble. You will suffer. They'll completely leave out the Jesus came that you might have life and have it to the full bit. <laughs> completely leave that out. <laughs> but if you think of that when you really get in touch with your because, your passion, it will be the thing that you're willing to suffer for, the thing that you're willing to sacrifice for because that thing is greater than any of the stuff that can come against it. Is this making sense? Are you just saying that so I move on? Okay. Let me come back to John chapter 12 again for a minute. Because I find this one really, really interesting. So where we finished reading was um, verse 26 where G- of chapter John 12. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Then verse 27. This is... <laughs> A fascinating confession from Jesus. He says, now my soul is troubled. Jesus was actually honest. Like this is the son of God, the sinless one. And he is there saying, my soul is troubled. In other words, I'm not real happy right now. That, that's a vast understatement given that he knew what he was about to go through. But he, he wasn't saying, I'm under attack from a demon or... No, no, my soul, the, the human part of me, my mind, my will, my emotions in particular are troubled. I am feeling nervous. I am feeling scared. I am feeling distressed. But then he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is where we see, a, this is where we see the strength of who Jesus is. See, especially in prophetic communities, we get to that, now my soul is troubled. In other words, we're, we're in that process of pushing into destiny and we start to hit the hard stuff. 
we, we start to hit the stuff that's inconvenient, that, that involves sacrifice, that involves putting ourselves out, that involves risking rejection, shame, scorn, whatever it is. And we start to feel troubled on the inside. And the temptation is to go, I, I just don't have peace in my spirit about this next step. I just, I just don't feel peace. My soul is troubled. And that's the bit where we're tempted to go, where we start to push on the door of destiny. It starts to get hard and we go, ooh, oh. And the decision we make in that moment is so critical to everything that comes. That's the decision point of where we stay as a single seed and our impact just stays as big as us or... We lay ourselves down and we die and many seeds come. So Jesus isn't saying, my soul is troubled. This mustn't be the will of the Lord. He said, my soul is troubled. And then he says, but what shall I say? Father, take this cup from me. He says, no, Father, glorify your name. In other words, it's game time, people. It's game time. It's time for me to to do the very thing that I was brought here to do. See, he knew his because. He knew his because, and he knew when that came, he went, no, it's game time. Let's go. Saul, you're going to have to catch up. Paul had this fascinating experience in the book of Acts when the prophet Agabus comes and stands in front of him, takes off his, uh, uh, he takes Paul's belt and he ties himself up with the belt and he says, the owner of this belt is going to be, be- it was by the Romans, was it by the Romans or the Jews? It was, anyway, the owner of this belt is going to be tied up, beaten, flogged, yada, 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 and so on he goes. Now, everyone around Paul was saying, this is the Lord saying, don't go. Had I planned to share this bit, I would have actually given you the reference. But I'm here, so let's go. <laughs> So everyone around him would have said it's around, it's in the book of Acts and it's around chapter 15-ish, I think. Um, and everyone around him, in response to the word from the prophet, saying, hey, they're going to tie you up. They're going to beat the snot out of you. It's a warning from the Lord. Don't go. Paul's response, don't you think I'm willing to be beaten? Let, I'm willing to die for the sake of following what Jesus has brought me here to do. In other words, that was his, one of his moments of pressing into the discomfort and a warning comes from the Lord. This is what's going to happen to you. And Paul says, it's game time, baby. Bring it on. Because you can't kill a dead person. <laughs> he died a long time ago. Can't kill him again. See, this, this is the foundational stuff of destiny. It's, it's, it's not always the popular stuff, but this is the bits where we pass our character tests that mean we can actually carry the weight of what he wants to put on us when we check out at that moment when our soul gets troubled and we go, whoa, not feeling at peace about that. That's when we're not ready to carry the weight of it. And we take another trip around the mountain. 
and then another opportunity comes and so on we go. But I don't want to live my life going around the mountain, skipping each opportunity. Yeah, this, this is a season for acceleration, but as you step into your because, as you get that clearly, it will break your heart. It will, it will, so much will happen in your soul realm. But when we're clear, we go, it's game time. Let's go. Father, glorify your name. For this reason, I came to this hour. Let's go. Yeah, I know for Deb and I, there's been a number of times along the journey um, where God spoke to us so clearly and said, let's go. And just the stuff that was in our own hearts and the difficulties of past years would have made it so easy to go, our soul is troubled. And we, I'm sure we said that. Oh, you know what? This is not convenient right now. You know, if I could choose, let's give it a couple of years. I love it. It's a Joyce Meyer saying. Um, I think it was Joyce Meyer where she says, if you can't do it brave, just do it scared. <laughs> I love it. Um, I don't know who this was, but it was a, a general, and I may have told this story before, but it, yeah, it was, it was an army general back way in the old days who was going into battle. Um, and, you know, he was trying to get up on his horse and his knees were shaking so much with abject fear. Like this, and you know, you, that would, that's one of those, my soul is troubled, I want to check out moments. <laughs> and instead of checking out, he actually went, knees, if you had any idea where I was about to take you, you'd be shaking a lot more than that. Now get up, let's go. <laughs> In other words, I'm not going to be bounded by the limits of myself. See, in order to have a legacy that's bigger than myself, I have to step out of my own limitations. And at the very least, in our culture, I have to be willing to be inconvenienced. I have to be willing for, um, you know, for us to kind of learn to raise our kids in an environment that's just a tad crazy and not always convenient and shifting and changing and, um, because that's what we were put here to do. Now, it doesn't mean we don't pay attention to them and it's all about the ministry. No, no, don't go there. But... We have to be clear, hey, this is what we're here to do. This is what we've been put on the earth to do. This is how we're going to navigate it. Talk to us all along the way, but we're going. Let's go. That's not convenient. Are we making sense here? See, unless we die, we only stay as big as ourselves. When we die for the sake of, for the because that means we lay our life down for the sake of whatever that because is. And we become bigger than ourselves. It's much more than I just get to use my gifts. I get to walk in my anointing. I get to do my thing. I get to enjoy. That's all great. But it's so much bigger. We're in a fire season. Let me, let me just start to bring this into land. But you know, we're, I really believe we're in a season of, where one of the emphases of the Spirit is the fire of God. You know, fire is one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit. He's a dove. He's water. He's fire. And in different seasons in the Spirit, different aspects are emphasized. I've been in river seasons. I love river seasons. I'm a total river rat. I, I just love, Ezekiel 47 is one of my all-time favorite scriptures. I just, I, I love the river. 
But this, we feel, is a season of fire. Fire refines, fire purifies. Fire, when you put gold or silver through a refiner's fire, all the, all the dross, all the impurity comes to the surface so you can go, and then what you're left with out the other side of the fire is something that's purified and actually valuable. Um, if, you, if you take bricks that have been made but haven't been put through the fire, you don't want to be building your house with those things. Because they're weak, they're brittle, they'll fall down. It's only when they've gone through the fire that they're strengthened enough to build with. And this is one of those seasons where, you know, for Jesus, that was a fire moment. Yeah, we say, well, he was God. Of course he was going to do that. But he was also a man. And he actually sweated drops of blood with the level of stress that he was carrying about going to the cross. I don't know. I've never sweated drops of blood. But that was one of the moments where I'm going to step into the fire and let him do what he does best. Yeah, in worship, when, you know, one of the most basic places we can practice this together is as we worship together. Hebrews 13 talks about the sacrifice of praise. The, the sacrifice at... At the least is we praise him when we don't feel like it. Where we actually take a posture of praise. And, and yet the joy is not meant to stay deep down. You know that I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. It's not, yeah, that's right. It's not meant to stay down there. So joy looks like something. But it's not always I feel joyful, there I will, therefore I will dance. You see... When Scripture says to rejoice in the Lord, it doesn't then pref uh, say after that, if you feel the joy. It actually just says rejoice in the Lord. And the more likely, if you actually do that, you're more likely to feel the joy after. But, it, but it's a deliberate posturing of myself, regardless of how I feel, because our worship is, shouldn't be based on how we feel. It should be based on who He is. And last I checked, He was feeling pretty darn good. <laughs> Sometimes we worship ourselves into breakthrough when we're feeling miserable by our simple posture of saying, come on, soul, bless the Lord. You know where David in Psalm says, bless the Lord, O my soul? He's actually talking to his soul and saying, soul, get up. Come on, bless the Lord. Why are you downcast? Why are you so flippant depressed? Get up and bless the Lord. He's actually talking to himself. It's not just this beautiful praise of, oh, bless the Lord. You know? He's actually talking to his own soul that is absolutely miserable and downcast. And he's saying, get up and praise him. He's speaking himself into alignment with the truth of who God is. That's a sacrifice of praise. That's one of the best places we can practice. Because when we all start to do that together, one of the golden principles of Scripture is fire falls on sacrifice. You don't get fire without sacrifice. We want the fire of God to burn. It takes sacrifice. It takes us stepping beyond our comfort, stepping beyond ourselves and stepping into a place of no matter how I feel, you are and I will praise you. And that's not just a, well, I'm just quiet and I like to do it on the inside. To me, Scripture doesn't give us that choice. It actually talks about postures, actual body movements of, you know, lifting holy hands in prayer of dancing, of singing, of shouting. You know, it's actually very, very visible. I could get stuck on that and I need to find an exit. <laughs> yeah. 
But at the very least, the sacrifice is putting ourselves beyond convenience for the sake of another. You know, it's serving someone else. It's praying for one more person when I'd really rather go home. One of the, I remember one big breakthrough in healing um, I had with someone was, um, it was at the end of a conference, I was exhausted, like I was just like, I'm done. And I saw this person coming down the aisle toward me and I'm like, oh no, I know what's about to happen here. And I'm looking for, is there a side way I can go? And I was like, I was trapped, there was nowhere I could go. So I had to, so I walked up and he came up and said, oh, my shoulder, I've just, I've hurt my shoulder, you know, playing sport, can you, would you mind praying for me? And I, yeah, sure, I'd love to. <laughs> I was talking myself into alignment. Okay, <laughs> that's my story. Anyway, anyway, so I put my hand on his shoulder and I totally did the token prayer. Oh, Jesus, just heal this thing. Just, just. And then my hand started to burn. I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> and I said, well, did you feel that? And he's like, heck yeah. And I'm like, all of a sudden faith started to kick in. I'm like, let's go, you know and I said okay check it out and before he couldn't lift it beyond like this and he's going like this and he's going like this and he got completely and totally healed in that moment and it was so inconvenient and I wanted to do nothing like that and everything but that I wanted to go home and it was almost like that was a moment where I didn't get to choose my inconvenience either because there was no way out (laughs) but in the beyond inconvenience of going all right even in that choice of alignment God shows up and meets you fire comes fire falls on sacrifice now I know that this truth has been abused to the hilt in church life to kind of manipulate people and recruit people into the cause I know that I also know that we can't step away from a truth because it's been misused. Only the valuable stuff gets misused or counterfeited. You don't see too many counterfeit five-cent pieces because it's not worth the effort to counterfeit. You'll see a lot of counterfeit $100 bills because you only counterfeit, manipulate, abuse that which is valuable. And this is a truth that sits at the foundation and the core of kingdom life that's why it gets abused, so that people throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, we talked about kingdom finance late last year and, um, you know, the fact that actually God wants us not just prosper to be in dominion over finance. That whole teaching has been so ridiculously abused and distorted. Doesn't mean we get to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We just need to find the real. And the best way to find a counterfeit is to become so accustomed to the real so when they teach people to do counterfeit notes, to, to recognize counterfeit notes, they don't show them a whole lot of fakes and get them to recognize fakes. They get them so familiar with the real that the moment they look at a fake, they can just feel it. Does this make sense? So our job is to become so accustomed to the real in terms of sacrifice, in terms of this foundation of the kingdom, that when the manipulative, abusive, stupid stuff turns up, we can get... Not going there, but not throwing out the baby with the bathwater as well. Are we making sense? Why don't we stand? Michael, do you want to? Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection, and I hope to celebrate it loud, hard, good, because it's like that. I have no words. If you believe that, you'll believe anything. But, um, 
the resurrection is the core of where it's at. That is the life we're called to live. But that's the house, the building. The key point is, before there's resurrection, there has to be a death. Smith Migglesworth, who many of you may have probably heard of, was renowned for his ability to usher in the presence of God. And what it was said of him was simply this. Smith Wigglesworth used to say this arrogant statement. It sounds like an arrogant statement. If God's not moving, I will move him. That sounds so arrogant, especially to us Aussies. And he was an Aussie. (laughs) But he said, if God's not moving, I'll move him. And here's what he said. He said, because I will be the sacrifice that the fire falls upon. It's not just that he knew how to usher in the anointing. He knew how to be the sacrifice upon which the fire fell. He knew how to push himself beyond where his humanness was comfortable or convenient to step into the realm of the kingdom. And he said, I will be the sacrifice upon which the fire falls. The invitation as we come into Easter is, will we be that? Are we willing to place ourselves like wood on a fire and say, Father, burn? Just reach out your hands for a moment. And just for, just for 30 seconds or so, I just want you to have your own conversation with the Father. Okay? I can't preempt where you're at with all of this. But I just want you to have a conversation with the Father. Maybe it's, I haven't found my because. Open my eyes, Father. I need to find my because. Or in the meantime, show me who to serve that has found their because. Maybe it's, Father, I've been so focused on just using my gifts and my ministry and my this and my that, and I've missed the because. Maybe it's I just don't like being inconvenienced. Just have a conversation with him for a little longer. Father, I just bless this crowd right now. Let your fire rest upon us. Give us the grace to step outside of ourselves and into your empowering because we don't want to be single seeds. We want to be the many. We want a legacy that's way bigger than us. Come and stir us. Yeah. I'm aware of the time, so if any of you need to go, I want you to feel free to do that. Um, if you need to go and need to grab your kids, I want you to feel free to do that. And if you're able to hang around, we're just going to 
have a moment of worship and if you're able to, I just want to invite you just to respond. And if you want to, just come down the front, kneel, worship before Him and just afresh say, Jesus, I'm laying it down either for the because that I know or for the because that I'm yet to find, but I trust you to show me as I place myself as the sacrifice upon which your fire falls. So I just invite you. Again, if you need to go, you're absolutely free and fine to do that. If you want to hang around and just be in his presence for a little longer, I just invite you to respond. Come down the front. I want, and that's deliberate, not because there's anything magical about the front, but it's just a step out of where you are. Sometimes a simple step in the natural is the beginning of the process. So just step out of where you are and just come and worship him and let his fire rest upon you afresh. And a few of us may just come around and pray for you in the background. But this is your time to encounter him.